Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today we're going to talk about open adoption. I'm honored to have Lauren Stokes join us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Lauren is a licensed therapist and also a writer for Adoption.com. Yes. Yeah, I've written a number of uh, different articles for Adoption.com and also Mind Body Green uh, and also publication on narrative therapy with adoption with a uh, coworker when I was in school. I'm excited to talk about that narrative therapy. Yeah, yeah, it applies a lot to what we're talking about today. So how we met is Adoption.com contacted me and asked to do an interview. And so you were the one that wrote yes. our article. You can find that article on Adoption Now on Adoption.com. Also your website. My website is createconnectivity.org. Also your Facebook. My Facebook page, it's facebook.com slash counseling. That's my counseling page. And then I also have a page, Open Spirit, which is um, about adoption. So just started that as well. As we were talking, it was kind of funny because you're interviewing me, but I'm kind of interviewing you, asking you questions. (laughs) Our background is very similar in in therapy um, and through counseling and just talking to people and getting to know people's stories. And so when we were talking, I found out that you are an adoptee. I am. And what makes it unbelievably special is that you are an adult, but raised in an open adoption. Correct. So for a lot of people, that's really new. Um, You know, back in the day, and it's not even that far away. It was like 10 years ago. Most of the adoptions were closed. Right. And so the, the term open adoption is very new. Many states are requiring it, and it can be very scary for a lot of people. Adoptive parents get nervous about the biological parents being involved. Right. People changing their minds or how do you define the boundaries? It's it's a lot of different pieces to to sort through with openness. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about that. And I'm so excited to ask you all these questions, you know, because we promote it. But most of us that are promoting it, we have little children. So we don't know what it's like. What what are they going to say? What happens when they grow up? Right. What are they going to say about it really when they're older? Yeah. And so I get to ask you all those questions. But I'm going to start with an article that you wrote for adoption.com. And it's called Seven Things We Miss When We Focus on the Positive Aspects of Open Adoption. Openness doesn't eliminate questions for identity and belonging, nor does it guarantee freedom from confusion about roles and boundaries. I thought that was interesting. It simply changes them. You were adopted at two and a half weeks, Mm -hmm. and you talk a little bit about your life in this article as far as having contact with both parents. And and that varied between letters and emails and face-to-face. But you always knew who your biological parents were. Yes, I did. So let's talk about the very beginning. Two and a half weeks, where were you in that time? Yeah, so I was with a foster family. Um, Don't know a lot about them, but I was in a foster home for that time. I know that, you know, one of the articles that I wrote, we used a picture that's of my adoptive parents, my birth parents, and me as a baby when when that moment happened, when they essentially kind of handed me over. And so that certainly was a unique way for that to, to happen at that time. So I was born in the mid-80s, and so that wasn't the norm at that point in time. Right. Were they together? They were kind of sorting it out. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. At that time, they pretty much broke up after after I was born. Okay. So they didn't stay together. Did not stay together. No. But they stayed in your life. Correct. Yeah. So, and I guess the way that things kind of pieced together was, you know, it started out really through the adoption agency. So letters would get sent to the agency back and forth. And then at a certain point, uh, I'm not sure whether it was my adoptive parents, or my birth parents that initiated the idea of saying, all right, let's eliminate the agency as the middle person and let's exchange addresses. And at that point, letters and communication started going directly back and forth. And then it was when I was around four, I think, that we met again face-to-face in a park and then went back to just mostly letters until I was about 10. So again, in those early years, their intention was to make sure that it wasn't confusing. So there was communication more between my parents back and forth, okay. not not as much to me, but that there would be, you know, we read a book called Why Was I Adopted from when I was very young. So it was never, never a secret. And we would also, at a certain point in time, like I remember getting, uh, my birth father did a lot of traveling, so I would get postcards and he would send currency from different places he was traveling to. And so got to have that kind of connection that way and curiosity. And Why did your adoptive parents adopt? Yeah. So they uh, struggled with fertility issues and for quite some time. And I actually was just uh, talking to my mom this morning and she said that one of the things they ran into, it took about five years for them. Um, and once they, I think one of the issues they came up with at the time was that a lot of the adoption agencies were faith-based and because they weren't within the faith of these different, whether it was Catholic or Lutheran mm-hmm, or different, right. different faiths, they weren't able to put in to the application. Yeah, to put okay. in the application. So uh, they ended up going through adoption options. And that was by the time they kind of got their application in, then it was three years before they had their case study and then another 14 months after that. Oh, my goodness. When you wait that long and you want a baby so desperately, yeah. you don't want to share the baby mm-hmm. for the most part. Now, if you're listening to Adoption Now, I always say this, every story is different. Every adoptive parent feels differently. And that's why we do the show is because we love to highlight everyone's story and their, the different aspects. But I'm talking about me personally, that first baby that you get, I can't imagine at the time bringing in the biological parents to be a part of that. Because yeah. you just want the baby for yourself. And it's a, it's a selfish yeah. way to be. But your parents seemed very open. They were. And, you know, one of the things was that might have been unique. I, I'm not totally sure how it all works now. But at that time, you know, my parents, they hand wrote their prospective parent letters um, by hand. And so my birth parents were given think three different families. So they actually got to be involved in the process of choosing and that it was those letters that they could feel. I think they actually felt some similarity of it seems like this couple would raise our daughter similar to almost how their parents raised them. And so there was some comfort with that and might have that might have been helpful in that comfort of feeling like we can be open and there's some synergy and connection here. 
Which I think is really important. You don't always get that, unfortunately. Yeah. And sometimes that can be very disappointing. But when there is a connection, Mm -hmm. you can allow and trust that person into your life. Yeah. And so what did you think about that as a four-year-old and as a 10-year-old, these other people? Yeah. You know, they were, honestly, it was kind of an excitement and curiosity. And in some way, I think people use this kind of terminology fairly often of, Okay, so these are almost a special extended family member, so an aunt or an uncle, something like that, that there's just this kind of special connection with. So there was curiosity. I definitely was really intrigued by all of the travel and things that my birth father was doing. My birth mom, you know, they both ended up, she ended up getting married, and I have two half-siblings who are now in their early 20s, so kind of a 10-year gap in there. And my birth father didn't have any other children until much later. So I also have some half-siblings that are in sixth grade and a third grade, I believe. So there's quite a gap. But right. again, had the opportunity to, to meet and spend time with all of this extended family over the years. So, you know, after I turned 10... My birth parents came up and actually visited with my family up in Winter Park, which is where I live now. And that seems like it was, in my memory, was the start of spending more time. So they started to occasionally come to a horse show or when I was in high school, I did snowboard competition. So it's coming to some of that or making some special occasions to get together. Not everyone. I mean, it wasn't like they were there all the time, but probably once a year. The fear, I think, also for adoptive parents is that you would turn around and say, I want to be with them. You're not my real parents. I don't want to stay here. That's scary for us. No, we want you to be with us. And you said you never did that. Not that I remember. I mean, I think there were times probably even later on that I wondered what it would have been like. And especially uh, when I was in my early 20s, my mom gave me a binder full of all of the letters that they had exchanged back and forth. And I also, because it was open, I had, I've had a lot of opportunities to talk to my birth mom and birth dad about just what their experience was like, what went on for them. And so there certainly was that question of that like fantasy of like, well, what if, what if they had kept me? What would that have looked like? Mm -hmm. But there's also, for me, there's a sense of that it all is what it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So that there was something in spirit that was bringing it all together. And I know my mom feels like uh, her dad, who passed away when she was in her 20s, that his spirit helped to guide this process. And that my birth mom also said, you know, for her, even coming from more scientific and medically oriented family, mm-hmm. there was never really even a question. There was just something that's told her when she kind of came to terms with I'm pregnant that was, I'm going to place this baby for adoption. There wasn't a grappling with what am I going to do and what kind of choice do I need to make? It was just something from outside of her said, this is your path. And they went forward with that. So, you know, and I have some really special relationships in my life, close friends that I would not know if I wasn't with my adoptive family. It just wouldn't have happened. 
Do you think the sets of parents helped you understand that as far as this was what was meant to be? And I asked that question because in the adoption world, sometimes it's hard to say when you say this is what was meant to be, which is, of course, how we feel as parents. But does that take away from the biological parents? Because I've asked the question before and, and somebody has said to me, well, you know, I mean, that wasn't meant to be. What was meant to be is I, this mom was supposed to have her baby. Well, I get that. But mm. then in the course of time, it really was how it was meant to be. Does that make sense? Like kind of an after the fact, it it comes out that it all lines up. Right. Yeah. That's a really good question. You know, I kind of had my own path of coming to that sense of feeling like there was a there was a purpose to all of this. And then it's been through the openness, being able to go back and have those conversations and learn that other people felt the same thing. Now, I haven't asked that question to my birth dad or my dad about whether they felt like kind of there was a higher power involved in the process. Um, But for me and both my moms, that was that was certainly something that we felt. And I don't I don't know if that takes away from the birth parent Right. That like was that they should have had the child. And do you know much about her grief? I've talked about it some. I mean, some of the letters talk about that a little bit of also from her standpoint of. And I think my birth dad had the same um, because his parents actually when they found out, which was, I think, either right before just a few days before I was born, they were like ready to jump on a plane and come out and be like, we're going to help you guys figure this out. We'll help raise this child. And this was right before I was born. So there was certainly kind of a a choice point moment there at the last minute. Um, But I know that they had some of that feeling of, if I remember correctly, the, the wording she had in one of her letters was like wanting to be super mom. Like I would just figure it out, even if they weren't together, that she want, would just figure it out and we'd be this mom-daughter team. Just, mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's certainly still that aspect, even though through the process and after the fact, over time, you know, we create create the meaning that makes it, again, work for us. I think that people sometimes have a hard time understanding that you can have sadness about a decision yeah. and also peace about a decision they can go hand in hand yeah you know you can really wonder and miss a child but at the same time go that that's the best thing for them Mm -hmm. and it it doesn't really go away yeah I don't think for for birth parents is it's not like one day you go well I'm just so happy right you always miss that child and you always think Mm -hmm. about that child Um, but there's a piece that you know they didn't take you away they got to see you and that it was meant to happen and play out this way. I think a lot about that as an adoptive mom with little kids is one of the things that you and I talked about is that way that we tell the story to them. They Mm -hmm. ask lots of questions. We're very open. But there is a way that I'm telling them the story as I see it. And there's a time when they're going to grow up and hopefully investigate for themselves yeah and so you and I talked about how you had to do that what was that like and what led you to that journey I think one of the things is you know sometimes children that are adopted we see them act out more so we can see the 
you know, the challenges and sometimes those challenges are just normal development and some of them are related to adoption. And for other kids, I think, which is more like me, we're more, maybe more, I don't know if it's people pleasing or wanting to just, you know, feel like we fit and wanting everybody around us to feel good basically Mm -hmm. is what it comes down to. And so what I realized in my early 20s was that I was taking on the stories that I was collecting from my birth parents, from my uh, from my adoptive parents, and hadn't really explored that. What is my experience of it? And what really triggered that was actually having some dreams about my birth parents that had new emotions that I attached to them that I hadn't in my conscious waking life been aware of. I didn't realize that there was any possibility that I might feel any sort of edgy, difficult emotions. Like you said, the there can be joy and appreciation alongside sadness or grief. Mm-hmm. And so that was what triggered that for me of saying, realizing, okay, I've been telling not my story, but the story from all these other people. And so now it's time for me to, to explore that. And through my studies in counseling and psychology, one of the things that I read about which really resonated was the idea of different ways of thinking that we can develop when we get into what they're calling emerging adulthood. So it's like an added phase that we, we have because schooling goes on so long and people stay at home longer. It's almost like this extended adolescence. But that a big piece of that is dealing with uh, what was a new word to me at the time, which is dichotomy. You know, two things that mm. seem to be opposed, which mm-hmm. is exactly that. Can you be sad and joyful or grateful at the same time? And so that was really how that showed up. I was it provided a name for what I was experiencing, which was I'm so grateful and I love that I get to have these connections. And there's this question about the storyline of being, the word I like to use is gifted for adoption and feeling positive about that and that that's something that's done out of love. But then there's also this knowledge that, well, if I love somebody, I want to be with them. So how does it work that that out of love there would be a separation? Mm-hmm. How do how do we make sense of that? Um, what seems like it could be a contradiction. So then that's just one example of how I think there's some some of those dichotomies inherent in adoption that we have to figure out. And a lot of times we don't know how to do that until we get a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Well, I also think that if we explore grief we are oftentimes afraid that it's going to hurt somebody. Yeah. So if I feel sad about something, then maybe the adoptive, my adoptive parents won't realize how grateful I am. Right. And so it freezes an adoptee. Mm-hmm. They Absolutely. don't move forward. They just stick with that story and they kind of move on and make their own story now with their children yeah. or you know, in their marriage or however they live their life. But there's something that's so important about going back to that time and grieving mm-hmm. because otherwise it kind of it's like a cloud that kind of comes with you everywhere. Don't you feel like that? Yeah. Even though you're saying happy things. I was adopted. Right. Everybody loved me. It's I great. love my yes. <laughs> There's a part of you that's really ignoring a really deep grief. grief. Yeah. yeah. I think that's I think that's a, a good word, the best word for for that. And that definitely was something for me was 
wanting to figure out how do I take some time and explore this, the some of the more challenging emotions, f- things that showed up like resentment or anger or grief. Um, how do I work through those? But it doesn't mean that I don't love all of these family members and I don't want to keep building positive, meaningful connections. It just meant that I almost created a little bit more of a boundary around my experience and my story is just as important as any of theirs. Right. We have to take a break. We're talking to Lauren about open adoption. Stay tuned as we talk more about this and adoption now. We'll be right back. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver, broadcasting in HD digital radio and online at 670kltt.com. Hi, this is Noah, April's husband. Are you enjoying the program today, but wonder how you can hear more stories about the joys and challenges of adoption? Good news. Adoption Now is available on podcasts through iTunes and Google Play. Just search Adoption Now and subscribe. We download a new show weekly, allowing you access to every story we've shared. I hope you enjoy the rest of today's story as we get back to the host of the show, April Fallon. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today we're talking to Lauren Stokes, who is a writer for Adoption.com. She's written a great article about Adoption Now. We really appreciate that you published that. It was beautifully written, and we're just so proud of the show, but so excited about your talent. I mean, you are an excellent writer. Oh, I you. talked a million miles an hour on that interview, and I'm like, I wonder how she's going <laughs> to make that a story that people can read, and you did awesome. And so I've been enjoying reading all of your articles. You're an adoptee. Yeah. You grew up in an open adoption. So you knew your biological parents and your adoptive parents. And now you're a therapist. And so you've come to this point in your life where in your early 20s, kind of discovering who you are and what what is your story and what do you think about adoption? What do you think about mm-hmm. being adopted? And I found that so interesting as an adoptive parent because I want to create something for my children right now where they are writing their story right now as I'm telling them information. And it is not easy to answer those questions. If you're an adoptive parent, you're thinking right now, I don't even want to go there. I mean, that is so hard. Now we're like, how can we help our children really be open, say hard things, ask hard things? And how can we tell the story in a way that's great because adoptive mm-hmm. parents always want to do that. Oh, it was great. And then you came to us and everything was great. Yes. But how can we tell them the truth? Right. And how did your parents do that or not do that? Well, you know, I think that they, again, by introducing it early with books that helped to make sense of it and and sharing their experience and creating the, the opening to say that I was welcome to over time and in kind of appropriate ways given my age to open that door so that I could have that communication. I don't think that there was anything that my parents did that made it so that I specifically, so that I felt they were imposing on me that I couldn't have my own story. There definitely wasn't that feel. I think Mm -hmm. just more my personality was such that 
I took it in. I wanted that to be true. I wanted everybody to be happy. Um, and I think probably other kids are more might have just a different personality approach where they maybe focus more on, no, but I am different. And that's just the direction that they go. And so they might push more. And so for me, I don't feel like it was a lack of anything, like that they should have done anything different per se. I think it was just my personal path with it was that it was until I got a little bit further out and a little bit older that I started to to feel my own sense of safety in the sense I can explore this and not and hopefully not hurt the people around me because again I adore my my parents my parents are my mom and dad are my adopted parents that's in terms of just what do I call them mm-hmm. um, you know not wanting to not wanting to hurt them knowing having some sense and compassion for realizing, wow, th- this was hard for everybody. You know, there's the infertility going through that process. There's the relinquishment process for birth parents and trying to decide. And so having a lot of empathy and compassion for that, I think was as part of my personality, uh, was part of probably why I didn't look at it until later, whereas other other adopted children might get to that a little earlier, ask mm-hmm. more questions um, than I did. But it'd be interesting if uh, any of them were on the show and you asked kind of that question of, did I ask more questions than I remember? Or did I say something that I'm not remembering? But I don't, I don't recall ever. Right. We have, we've interviewed, uh, I think, eight adoptees. Mm-hmm. And we see levels of openness on every story. Yeah. Uh, Dominic and Aaron, I always talk about them. They're brothers. They mm-hmm. are African-American adopted into a Caucasian family. Their family is extremely open. They yeah. were never hidden any details. They came on the show, and Matt will remember our producer, and they're like, oh, I was a crack baby. And the yeah. other one's like, fetal alcohol syndrome, you know. And they're just very open, and they've accomplished so much in their life. And so it was never a mystery. Yeah. But they never saw their biological mother. Yes. And so this person is a mystery to them. Mm-hmm. And I notice with my son, who is a closed adoption yeah. and not on our choice, he will ask me questions that I can't answer. Yeah. And that is so hard. Yeah. And then my daughter, super open adoption. They're not parenting with us. They don't visit, but we know them very well. And so she'll ask me questions and I can go on and on and I can tell her about right. the hospital experience and them being there. And it, I can see in my son there's just this missing piece. Right. And at times, adopted or not, I was raised with just my mom. I did not have a father around. So I didn't have any of these answers. Yeah. It wasn't really open. We didn't talk about it that much. And so I created this person, mm-hmm. right? This like right. hero. Yeah. And he was just like crying every day, missing me. And, yeah. you know, and there's this whole family. And so, I mean, that can even happen and not adoption. Right, it's exactly. Just something is a mystery to you. You create a story. And it's important to say, if you want to explore that, I'm behind you. I know that my mom said that to me, and I know it was very difficult when I was 18. I did not go home for Thanksgiving. I went to this family that I had never met before. Yeah. And I know that they did not say it, but I know that it was very painful. Yeah. But I had to do that. I had to know who these people were and I had to find out, you know, what they're all American Indian. And I that's a whole part of my life. I mean, this is a whole culture that I don't know about. And so it was a discovery for me. 
And I have learned because of what they did, even though they, it was hard for them, they let me go. Yeah. And so that's where I want to be with my kids is I know you might want to discover this and this is as much as I know about it. Yeah. Um, You might have sadness and that's okay. Right. It's hard to do that. Yeah. Well, and and I think also to be able to do, to do that and also again, have the, the authenticity of not needing to only put on a brave face about it. Like, yes, there's this openness, and yes, it's hard for me, and that doesn't need to stop you. Did your parents ever say, this is hard? This is kind of hard to manage. I don't remember them saying that when I was younger, but in you know, in talking about it more, some, I guess. But again, there's just kind of the sense of, you know, they had to grapple, I think, more with it when I was younger and trying to figure out, okay, you know, at what point do we introduce it back in person and you know, how much is right for our family. So, I, you know, I'm sure there was that, but I don't remember talking about it a lot when I was younger. It's been more something that as an adult, as I've explored it more, gotten to talk to extended family members about mm. their experience also, like my grandparents, um, birth grandparents, that some of those questions started coming up. So I've been able to go back and kind of fill in some of that. What I love through your writing is that you allow people to do that. Yeah. You don't say that one experience is better than the other. You just say, what's your experience? What is your story? Adoption doesn't have to be like, <gasps> I think you said it great, is it's meant to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. And if you can see a silver lining, if you can be thankful and grateful and yet have an open heart to feel, yeah, you kind of stay in a really healthy place. Yeah. Well, and, you know, one as as we're talking, I think one of the one of the other things that I realized just hearing you talk about being an adoptive parent and how do you kind of present these things to your kids that well, I think one of the other factors for me in terms of kind of opening that that questioning was we can somewhat control how we present things in our family, but there's the broader culture and society that we're in that has something, and, and that was one of the things that I think probably triggered some of my questions was I had been in this world where this is great. This is all good. It's all love. It's, it's great. And then as, as I got older and, and I would share with people that I was adopted, I could see sometimes there was just this, like, do I ask questions about this? Is this like a taboo topic? Am I allowed to ask? And I'm like, I'm an open book. You can ask but there's something about that outside world where then you realize, oh, there are different perspectives on this. Mm-hmm. That that there's almost an expectation of like, are you okay because this happened to you? And it's like, yeah, I am. I mean, I think I am. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> my whole family says that we're all good and that right. this is a great thing. But then that there's just those those different perspectives and things we don't have control over that even if within the family unit we've done an amazing job of talking about things openly and sharing and finding the right boundaries for one particular family that there's still the interaction and the interface with the outside world whether it's just about adoption or um, ethnicity or whatever the the piece is and I think like you said 
these issues aren't exclusive to adoption. It's just that for some of us, adoption is our path to grappling Mm -hmm. with things like the mystery of a, a parent or parents that we don't know or having multiple sets of parents or figuring out just how to navigate anything that's that there's a little bit of darkness, a mystery. There needs to be a light shined on it. Uh, so I think that's that's a really important piece to recognize too. Absolutely. What did you call them, your biological parents? Just birth mom and birth dad. I mean, call them by their name. and You called them birth mom and birth dad? like to Just them? not to them. To okay. them, I just... Call them by their first name. Yeah, exactly. But that is one of the areas that even that even now... Um, when I'm visiting with them, if I'm talking to my birth mom about my mom, if I say my mom, it feels weird mm-hmm. to be saying my mom, which is talking about my adoptive mom to my birth mom. I'm like saying mom to my other mom. And it just, it right. Just, and you don't want to hurt bit, anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, does that feel weird for her to hear me talk about mom as adoptive mom? Mm-hmm. Does it not even phase her? Same with my birth dad those questions so that's one of the areas I think that is still just this little bit of how do we what language do we use right yeah yeah that would be hard and different for every single family Mm -hmm. some would not want that to be called by first name yeah but you I've heard of people saying auntie and Mm -hmm. this is your uncle but then you know that's that can be difficult as well so that is something to kind of pioneer through and figure out yeah I mean, some of it is, it just reminded me of um, visiting with my birth mom in, I don't know, sometime in the last couple of years and, and having somebody with us ask if we were like sisters in college or something like that. And it was just, we just laughed and laughed and laughed and then finally like got it together enough to explain to this person like, no, this is actually our story. But again, just like bringing that humor sometimes, just, right. we have to just laugh about these funny little stumbling blocks that we go through of trying to figure out how to navigate all of it. Did your adoptive parents have other children? No. Only you? I am. Yeah. So I'm an only child, grew up an only child. Um, And then, but then I have, you know, four half siblings with my birth, birth families and, and I know them. Um, And so, so that's an interesting thing to, to have a lot of siblings, but not have grown up with any of them. That is interesting. Your parents are amazing people. They were so open to your biological family when they didn't have to be. Yeah. And you were the only child. So they essentially shared the one child they had. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's a lot of openness and love and uh, grace that yeah. they had. The the way my, my mom described it, which I think is really beautiful, is that thinking about love, that it's not finite that it's an infinite thing. So it's not like the love is getting divided up amongst all these people. There's, there's plenty to go around. It doesn't, it doesn't end. It's, it's our, the restrictions and the boundaries that we put on it in our own head Mm -hmm. that is what can create those boundaries. And again, because different people have a different concept around that, just because I believe that doesn't mean that someone else would also feel that way. So I think that's where sometimes openness might not be right for everybody. Right. Because not everyone would have that philosophy. Right. 
We had a therapist come in when we brought a little boy home who was severely abused. And those of you who listen to the podcast, you know the story. And it was very difficult. And one of the things that he taught us to say all the time to the kids, to all of our kids, and to anyone, Mm -hmm. is there is enough love in this home for all of you. Yeah. And I still say that to them. There's enough love, you know, in our process now of trying to adopt number four. Right. I say there's enough love for number four. Yeah. My kids don't, they don't really need to hear that necessarily because they are very confident. Like, yeah. we're so cute and everybody yeah. loves us. But <laughs> it's good to to say that even for myself. There's enough love for people here. Right. You know, we we can continue to grow. We can invite people here. We can be open enough to have birth parents if we trust them and there's a good relationship and connection. We can do that. Right. If that was presented to us, there's enough love that that could work. Right. And so going into it like that with adoption is you have to really be able to be ready for adoption in the whole aspect. You can't pretend that the child's not adopted. You can't, and it'd be healthy, that you won't be faced with some of these challenges. Right. But it's like that in any decision that you make. Yeah. And for exactly any decision, it's just, again, whether an adoptee or an adoptive parent or birth parent, it's just that this adoption journey is part of what highlights these really natural human experiences Mm -hmm. and someone else walks through that path probably another way. I love that you said that. It's my favorite thing that you just said. (laughs) Highlights human experience. And that's what it's really about. It's just humanity. This is your story. This is how this came about. This is how we tell the story. This is the facts of the story. How do you feel about that? You're allowed to feel any way you want to about that. We tell our kids that all the time. My son is six and a half and a walking ball of feeling. He's very intuitive. And sometimes he feels a certain way about something that's shocking to us. Mm -hmm. And we're like, let's talk more about that. It's really hard to get a six and a half year old to really talk. But we do a lot of therapy, um, creating an imaginary world. Mm -hmm. And then what are these characters doing? And he'll tell me how he feels because that character will tell me how he feels. And so we have a lot of different techniques to try to get our kids to talk, but they're allowed to feel anything. Now, can they act on anger and punch walls? Well, you know, you can't always act on how you feel, but it's okay to feel that. Now, you use narrative therapy to help you find your story. And as we talked about that earlier, I just want to talk about it really quick. We kind of ran out of time, and I would love to do another show about narrative therapy. What it is, it's a form of psychotherapy that helps people identify their values, skills, and knowledge by sharing their stories that have shaped their lives. So their experiences kind of all come together to make their own story. You use that. You help people use that to find um, their true story and what they have found in their lives. And one of the things I love, and again, I wish we had time to talk about this, but I I asked you what it's like to come out on the other side. Once you find your story and you piece those pieces together that people have told you about, and you, you know, do your own investigation of your story. What if you find at the end it's still sad and happy, like we talked about, that still that dichotomy is going on? What happens then? And I loved what you said. You said that really you just find acceptance. And I think helping people accept their story is so important. So again, we're going to have you back on the show, Lauren. But I have one more question for you. I want to ask you if you look and act like your biological parents? I do. Yes. My 
my mom comments on it all the time. She, at, at least several times a year when I'm visiting with her, will say, that was just so Tanya. That was so, she's like your expression right there. So she, she sees it and she comments on it. And I'm like, I don't know what I just did, but apparently. Can you see it? Um, in terms of like looks and features, yeah. Yeah. I have, my nose is my birth dad's family. We actually have a picture of me and him and my grandmother all profiled because we all have the exact, like, there's just the nose that we all have. And so, um, there's certainly those aspects, and I think the nature-nurture also has been a really interesting exploration for me, too, because there are things that my adoptive family gave me as experience, but then I also really clearly certain things that came through in terms of personality that are a combination of definitely that's my birth dad's family, either him or another family member. Right. Um, or so can connect. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to post a couple articles mm -hmm. that you wrote, but definitely yeah. the one that we started with in the beginning of the show and the picture that you alluded to. I love yes. that picture yeah, because it's both of the sets of parents yep. and your parents are holding you and your biological father, the way he's looking at you. Yeah. It's just priceless. Yeah. The article is absolutely fabulous, but that picture, picture says it, it all. It yes. does. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for having me. Talk a little bit really quick. We only have sure. a minute left. Tell me what you do and how people can get a hold of you. Yeah, so I am a licensed professional counselor. I work with individuals, couples, and children doing play therapy. And they can reach me. My email is uh, lauren at createconnectivity.org. And my website is createconnectivity.org. Lauren, I can't wait to have you back on. Thank you so much. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week. Thanks for joining us for today's Adoption Now. If you would like to tell your story or for more information about Adoption Now, visit the website at adoption-now.com or find it on Facebook. And join us next week at the same time as we share another adoption story on 670 AM KLTT.